Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Today, if you have your Bibles open, we'll be in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. The title of this sermon is, The Wickedness of Man Was Great in the Earth. Here's the first half of this two-part study. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 8, I simply entitled this, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that comes straight from the scripture the wickedness of man was great in the earth so tonight we're actually going to get the the prequel to the flood and kind of what's happening prior to uh being introduced to noah will be briefly introduced to noah in verse 8 uh, but let's go ahead and read it it says in genesis chapter 1 uh, genesis chapter 6 verse 1 it says now it came to pass when men begin to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them so what we have here is we have uh, remember we talked about the long life we talked about uh, those that were living 700 800 900 years and 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 now you have to understand that they're producing over this time uh, about six billion people on the planet and, and so that's even, uh, from most theologians, that's actually a conservative number. Six billion on the planet. And, and, you know, we don't even have that many on the planet now. And, and so uh, you have to understand that over 700, 800, 900 years, they're having kids. They're multiplying. They're being fruitful and they're multiplying. And so we're seeing that they're, they're, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to, but unfortunately, they're living very long lives, and they're, they're living in sin. And, and so we see that in verse 2. It says that the sons of God saw the daughters of man, and that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So the first thing we need to discuss is who are the sons of God? Who are the sons of God? And the daughters were born to them. So when we, when we deal with this, you have to understand there have been a lot of exhaustive writings on this subject. And, and so one, one of the things that we do as a follower of God, we want to follow the passage of Scripture. We want the Scripture to speak for itself. Okay? That's why we talk about exegesis, not eisegesis. Exegesis is we let the context speak. We let the, 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 the scripture be king. The context be king. Eisegesis, if I want to just come up here and start talking, 
And I start throwing out random, I'll read the scripture and I'll start throwing out random things that I think may be. And, that, and, and then try to move it into an argument. And there's a lot of that from the pulpit today. A lot. Too much of it. Too much of it. And so what we're going to see tonight is, is there's four, four um, interpretations of this that theologians have come up with. And, and, and it deals with, with different things. And so you have some that will, will talk about the... Um, uh, one of the interpretations is, is that it reads that, the, 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 that there are uh, demonic possession. And so there's nothing that supports that in Scripture. There's nothing that we can go back and go, okay, well, that's here or that's here or that's here. So we don't need to even beat that drum. Okay? So there's nothing there that, that gives us support. So I think one of the things we have to do is if there's no validity in Scripture to support it, why are we going to beat the, the idea, right? One of the other ideas is that there's a suggestion of mighty men. And these would have been just kings and rulers, right? Kings and rulers that were uh, taking women forcibly. And, and so one of the things we've seen, we've seen in Scripture where we, we've seen this before, and they talk about them being a little G, a little God, right? But, again, this was early civilization. So there was no ruling kings at this time. So that can be ruled out, right? And then you have the third point, which is simply, and I think really the third or the fourth point here really ties it in and that third point is that the mighty man of kings were, were uh, the sons of God or were followers of God right you had the followers of God and the daughters of men were not following God so this is one of the arguments that's there now you can you can go back and look at Adam and Eve and, and go from the descendants of of Seth and, and the descendants of Cain and, and they say that it, it can be the believer and unbeliever, right? The follower of God and the person not following God. Now, scripturally, we can look at this and go, this has been a problem since the very beginning with Israel. And it continues to be a problem even for us. It tells us in scripture very seriously, it says this, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? And, and that's just talking about members of Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are a temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come from among them, and, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be the fathers to you, and you shall be my sons and daughter, says the Lord Almighty. It's very important for us to understand when we read this, when he's talking about uh, an, a follower of Christ and someone who's not following, or a follower of God and somebody who's not following God. What he's talking about very seriously is that the representation of marriage is Christ and the church. And, and so it's, it, Paul talks about marriage as being a great mystery. 
It's hidden. The spiritual truths are profound. And, and we know in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. We see here that they would have had followers of God and people who didn't follow God, and they were making this, this union that was ungodly. And, and marriage is supposed to be a, a, an image of God. You're, you're to reflect and bear the image of God in your marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. One flesh. You think about gluing two pieces of paper together and you try to take them apart, what's going to happen? They're going to tear. We're supposed to be one flesh. And, and as we talk about the sons of God, this is one of the things that it talks about. Is This could be one of the theories or the, theology, uh, the theologians believe as the, the follower of God and someone who's not following God. It's been a problem since the very beginning. And you have to understand, Moses is writing this, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And this is one of the things he, he tells them not to do. So we know that one flesh, I'll give you for instance, what is one flesh? Me and my wife are one flesh. At one point, my wife didn't want anything to do with me becoming a pastor. She's like, oh no, I'm not doing that. And I was like, this is very early on. I was probably three or four years into my into my walk and I was like I want to go out and plant a church I sat down with the guy who discipled me Pastor Louie and Pastor Louie and his wife Miss Yoli sat with us and Louie and I, I was so frustrated at this point I, I got there we sat down and Louie goes well Mike you're wanting to plant a church Teresa what do you think I don't want to do it I don't want it I don't want him to be a pastor and Louie goes okay we're done <laughs> I was like what I was like, dude, you're supposed to have my back, man. You've been discipling me for, like, come on. And he goes, no, you're one flesh. God's not going to put anything on your heart that he's not going to put on hers. There's a calling, yes, but there's a calling. So where does, where does this start? You need to start praying for your wife. And then God's timing, if God's going to do this, God will put it on her heart too. About two years later, then it finally, I became an assistant pastor. And, and, but it, it was something that I can tell you, it was, it was a lot of prayer. But if I would have stepped out to do it, and I'm supposed to be in, uh, uh, bearing the image of, of Christ in the church, our marriage would have been a train wreck. And look, I had 22 years of a train wreck. That's the last thing I needed. I didn't come to faith till late in life. I was 39 years old. I lived a, an ungodly life. So when I, when I see this and I know people, man, I can tell you, like, I know people that have tried to, I'm going to marry that person, and I'm going to convert them. Doesn't end well. You don't. You don't need to be doing that. And, and, and we'll talk about that. So the other thing is that, that marriage does is not only are we one flesh, but it, part of marriage is you're making disciples in the home. You're making disciples in the home. That's what we do. Our kids we're supposed to be making disciples at home. We're supposed to be making disciples that know, love, reflect, and serve Jesus Christ for their life. To know, 
love, reflect, and serve Jesus Christ for their life. At the end of the day, with your kids, uh, God wants you. It doesn't matter where, where they go, wherever they're called, or whatever their career is. They are to know, love, reflect, and serve Jesus for their life. That's what you're doing in the home. That's what you should be doing with your children. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of parents that are single parents right now. We, and we've talked about this epidemic of, of men not being in the homes anymore. And it affects, it doesn't just affect uh, the, the African-American community, it doesn't affect the Hispanic community, it affects every community. We've abandoned the home. I saw something last night that said that over 61% of men are not married because pornography. You know the other reason? Sadly. Uh, we don't do face-to-face well. We, everything we do is what? On the phone. And so they're not used to interaction. I can't imagine that. I remember going to Dairy Queen every day with my wife at 16 and getting to know her. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I can't imagine not being able to have that time with her. Just going to breakfast this morning. It's like our, our, our phones and our, our tablets and things that we have, we... We don't know how to interact with each other. And so again, if we're going to be followers of God and our marriage represents that, we are to be a follower of God, married to a follower of God. The other thing is, is, is marriage is a training ground for men to learn to lead their homes. If your wife is leading your home, you got some work to do. Men are called to lead their homes. They're the pastor of their homes. I, I can tell you right now, I, at the end of the day, I can't imagine doing this or anything else without my wife. But I lead the home. I want to hear what, what her opinion is, and I want her, because, man, she's smart. She didn't marry well. She got the low end of the deal. And, and you know, praise God, you know, at the end of the day, I, I love hearing her viewpoint on things. It helps me when I'm making the decisions that I have to make. But I have to lead my home. My kids have to see me lead my home. And, and when you have a non-Christian and a Christian, a husband needs to be able to lead his home. And, and he's not going to be able to lead somebody who's not following God. And the wife is not going to follow someone who's not following God if she's a believer. And so there's constant conflict. And so you can see part of the problem that, that, that is being described here in Genesis chapter 6 is that there is conflict. And that's why they're saying like the sons of God and the daughters of men, they, they shouldn't intermarry. That's important for us to understand that marriage is a, is a place for our, our relationship with Christ as individuals and couples to strengthen. You are to, you, man, that's the greatest training ground that you have as you become one flesh. Is, is you're learning to become one flesh. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm married to an unbeliever, it's going to affect my faith. It's going, to, it's going to cause a division at some point. And it, it's going to honestly, if we be honest about it, it's going it's to draw that person away. And I've seen it. I've seen it. Personally, in our, and, and someone we know in our family, for 15 years, she kept praying. And praying that he would come to no faith. 
And sadly, you know, at the end of the day, he came to no faith, but he went right back to the world. I think he only did it because he was trying to appease her. And, 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 and it created this division, and she's no longer attending church anymore. And so we see that it can be a problem. And, and you know what the thing is about this, and this is why I can understand why this is one of the arguments? Because this is affecting us still today. It still affects us. And it affects, it doesn't matter if you have money. Doesn't matter if you don't have money. Doesn't matter if, if, you're, if, you, if you've got a great position at work, right? Doesn't matter if you have authority, it affects everybody. And it's been affecting everybody since then. And, and, and it was a thing that God had, was trying to make sure they did is not to intermarry. Because what happens is when you intermarry and you're, you're intermarrying somebody who's, let's say you marry somebody who's a Buddhist. You're bringing those false gods into the marriage. And eventually they're going to start affecting you. It's, it's going to create problems. The fourth idea, and this is the one that I think the scriptures back is, uh, you know, you can, you can argue that third point or this one, and, and, and you can see it. it. It's the fallen angels. That's one of the things they talk about is the fallen angels. And, and, and that, if you think about it from this point, what was Satan trying to do with the seed? To destroy the bloodline. And so, the fallen angels, the sons of God, the Hebrew word means uh, sons of God for angels. And, and the interpretation. So when you look it up in the Strong's Concordance and you look up the Hebrew word, it has angels there. And we know those angels are the same angels that are mentioned, the sons of God who are uh, in the book of Job. And so we see it in Job chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. You see in Job chapter 2, verse 1, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And then finally, in Job chapter 38, verse 7, when the morning stars sang, all of the sons of God shouted for joy. But you also see in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, it says, He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. It's the same word that's used here uh, in, Gen in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. Now, we also have to address the, the other side of this because... Uh, you know, when we look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 30... It talks about the, um, the marriage of, of, of offspring. They were talking about marriage. And it says, The same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died, and after he married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, the third even to the seventh, like last of all, the women died also. The woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of seven will she be? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing that scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry 
nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. So we see that, that, that Jesus is talking about angels, but he's not talking about the fallen angels. He's talking about, do we know if he's talking about the heavenly angels? This will be one of those questions when you get to heaven. You can say, Jesus, I was confused. There was two points, and I need to know, right? But I'm sure that's be the last thing on your head. Maybe after you spend some time in eternity, that'll come up. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like we need to understand that, that it's not saying that they were not the rebellious ones that were already fallen, right? And, and so in Jude, and we're going to get into this a little bit more because there's some more scripture that kind of supports this. In Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So we see that there are angels that have been chained. And what, did, what was they, they, did, they pursued unnatural, right? But let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, For if, if I... For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to keep until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood on the world of, of the ungodly. And we also see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, But whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, whom formerly were disobedient when once divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few is eight souls were saved through water. And so we see that there, the, the scripture, he's talking about he went into Tar Tarshish and, and, and actually talks to the angels and tells them because he's defeated death. He has the deed to the, to the world, to the earth, and taking it back from Satan, and, and, and he's talking about the, the things that happened during the time of Noah, the unnatural, right? And so the fallen angel is one of those theories that we see, and, and Satan would have wanted created, and we'll talk about this as we get into the Nephilim, because that'll kind of tie into it when we get to verse 4. Uh, but like I said, it, it, to me, I could see point number 3 very easily very easily but i can also see point four because it was talked about later on in scripture in the new testament but it's one of these things that we'll, we'll wrestle with and 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 like i said it's it, that's why we ask for understanding we ask for understanding we ask that god shows us and and helps us have understanding with it and we'll get into the nephilim here let's get through verse three it says and the lord said my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is, is indeed flesh, yet his, his days shall be 120 years. So God is putting a limit. And it's funny because how many years for the ark? 120. Same amount, right? 120. And this I want you to give. Remember we talked about the long suffering and the mercy that he had for Cain? Like he showed mercy after mercy after mercy to Cain. We forget 
because a lot of people will say, well, why did he flood the earth? Why did he kill all those people? They had 120 years to figure this out. At some point, you got to look, and, I, and most of y'all have seen the, the videos or the pictures. Uh, I'm sure you have friends that have been to Kentucky and been to the ark, and you see how big it is. You would think about halfway in, you go, why are we building this? <laughs> What's going on? 120 years. They had a choice to make, just like we do. And, and, but unfortunately, the human race, even during this time, stays rebellious. And they get to a point where God, God, God passes judgment. And, and we'll get into that next week. Verse 4, it says, There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men whom of old men of renown. Now the word giants I have in the New King James, that's the version I use. You may have the Nephilim. You may have that in your verse. Um, the Nephilim, the word actually in the Hebrew just means giant. And, and so they were uh, fallen ones and it can refer to the mixture of, again, the fallen angels and the human uh, daughters of men, if that's that theory. But you also have the other theory. Remember we talked about like you have the other theory where it's the follower of God and the unfollower of God come together. But guess what? The genetics were what? They weren't muddied up yet. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us to find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio, pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. Uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 